Shri Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur Prabhupada Ki Jai Bhakti Raksak Siddha Dev Goswami Maharaj Ki Jai Kesi Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada Ki Jai Kaur Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai Kaur Premanande Bolo We're honoring the Divine Appearance Day Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur And we've sung the song composed by Pujapad Sridhar Maharaj and glorification of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur that is the most famous and uh, respected glorification of him to the extent that it's, as I mentioned earlier, sung in all of the temples of the disciples of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, and our Guru Maharaj wanted it sung in his temples every day also. He mentioned that to Hakayananda Maharaj, who was the president of Vrindavan at one time, but for different reasons, circumstances, whatever, it didn't come to pass. Um, in some of the temples, it's carved on the walls and stone and the marble. Hmm? So it's a very famous uh, glorification, a very comprehensive glorification. And we're fortunate to have been able to have sung it this evening. Hmm. This is, of course, one way to glorify great souls, to recite the glorifications of other great souls who are great by such glorifications themselves. Nonetheless, we will venture into saying something as well in effort to glorify the contribution and the person of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. He, of course, was known famously and affectionately by his disciples as Prabhupada, once uh, one of his disciples, or excuse me, one of uh, Pujapad Bhakti Pramod Puri Goswami Maharaj's disciples, Ramdas Puri was a disciple of Bhakti Siddhanta, published a book about Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. It's in more recent years. You may have seen it. It's a big... He likes to do those big picture books and art, artsy type of publications from um, the well-known Mandala Publishing. And um, I remember when they were going to... They were looking to, to title it. I think they were going to title it like Saraswati across the top Thakur down the side, something like that, and they had different ideas how to title the book. And then they brought it up to Pujapad Puri Maharaj. We were thinking of different titles and you know for the book and Saraswati Sri, you know, Saraswati Thakur, Siddhanta Saraswati, something like that. And then he said, Prabhupada. <laughs> so it's it's a bit humorous uh, because, of course, there was a disciple of his, Pujapada Esi Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who became famous in the Western world as, as Prabhupada himself, um, almost in in the lives of some of his disciples, eclipsing the fact that, that he had his own Prabhupada, if you will. A godbrother of mine, Trivikram Swami, told a story years ago of how he was in I believe Buffalo, Buffalo, a small uh, upstate New York temple, it was one of the earlier temples of Prabhupada. And Prabhupada arrived and went to Buffalo, and Trivikram Swami was unpacking his things. And among the things was a little picture of Bhakti Siddhanta that Prabhupada was carrying with him. And so Trivikram Swami took it out and he was looking at it and he was kind of wondering where to put it. And Prabhupada looked up and saw his and he said, put Prabhupada over there. <laughs> and it, the Maharaj said it really like threw him for a loop, and he thought, oh, he's got his own Prabhupada, that's cool. Yeah, you're right, you're right, of course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, along those lines, actually, the 
uh, chanting of Jai Prabhupada, which his disciples made uh, famous in the Western world and around the world and so forth, was uh, begun in the temple of Pujapadshidamarja in Navadweep when the disciples of Prabhupada, along with Prabhupada, once early on the mission visited Sridhar Maharaj and Akinchana Krishnadas uh, Babaji Maharaj was there, famous kirtanir and famous devotee and he was singing this song that we just sang and in the end he started chanting Jai Prabhupada, Jai Prabhupada, Jai Prabhupada, Jai Prabhupada and he said that Prabhupada had had taken the disciples, I believe, to Sridhar Maharaj's mouth, maybe on the Vyasa Puja day of Sridhar Maharaj. Was it? Yeah. So they will learn how to worship the Guru, something like that. And so this was part of the program that was going on. So so afterwards they they heard that there, that they, they were calling Prabhupada Prabhupada. I'm not sure how that started. I can't remember, but anyway, to chant it like that in a, in Kirtan and so forth, they asked Prabhupada, could we chant your name like that too? And he said, okay. Huh? So, um, so Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur Prabhupada, of course, it's a title, and uh, it's an esteemed title, and it doesn't belong to anyone in particular. Sometimes we say, Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, Jiva Goswami Prabhupada. It's a title that any guru uh, really can be uh, addressed by their disciples. Sridharmarsh made this point once when some of his godbrothers complained that Bhaktivedanta Swami was calling himself Prabhupada. And he said, well, he, you know, he's calling himself Prabhupada, but his disciples are calling him Prabhupada, and that's appropriate. Prabhupada, Vishnu Prabhupada, these are appropriate titles for the the guru and so on and so forth. Hmm. So, the world of Prabhupada's, that would be our desire. There is such a world and that's where we're we're going and it's thought that, that this particular Prabhupada, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur, sometimes it's thought came from there to here. Hmm. Great Bhakti Vinod Thakur wanted some help in his vision, to implement his vision and he prayed to the Lord for that. And it was thought that Bhakti Siddhanta was the answer. Hmm? He was born in Jagannath Puri. And even early on at the time of his infancy, there were signs of his divinity. And and thus um, expectations rose as to what his contribution might be the famous Rathiatra cart passing down the main street, stopped and got stuck in front of the house of Bhakti Vinod on one such occasion during the infancy of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsi Thakur and his mother. Bhagavati Devi brought him out to, you know, offer to the deity, and the deity's garland came and Garland, the, the, the child who was said to have been born with his umbilical cord wrapped around his head like a Brahmin, Brahmins wear their thread. So these are some of the stories uh, that uh, speak about the, his uh, the foretelling, if you will, of his auspicious life to come that uh, are well known. He was a very... Um, strict follower of Bhaktivinoda, and Bhaktivinoda was an educated person, and so he saw to his son's education, and he was very much sought after, the educated Bhimal Prashad, as he was called at that time, by um, different sectors of the society for his moral fortitude, moral principles in life, and his... uh, scholarship and uh, genius, intelligence, and so forth. His moral principles and kind of standard of character and behavior is sometimes illustrated by the famous story of how in his household, one day he ate a mango, wasn't it, that was supposed to have been first offered to the Lord, and then he 
found out that, or he confessed it or something like that, and was told that it was wrong, he shouldn't have done that. And so he vowed from that day never to eat another mango. And mangoes are pretty nice <laughs> fruit. They're readily offered to the Lord, especially in India. There, Like here, there are many kinds of mangoes and so forth. It's very refreshing in the heat of the summer, although it does heat the body if you eat too many of them. Beware. But um, So he made that vow never to eat a mango, and he never ate a mango his whole whole life. Hmm? So he had some kind of uh, good character, and, and when he said something, he stood behind it, and and, and so forth. Um, and despite, as it would come to pass, all of his good qualities from a material point of view, his intelligence, his obedience to Bhaktivinoda, his moral character, and so on and so forth, um, when he was instructed by Bhaktivinoda Thakur to seek initiation into the Vaishnava path from the uh, renunciate Gorakishwardas Babaji, who was illiterate by comparison, couldn't read or write, it said. The um, very literate and educated Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur was, uh, took note of how all of his materially speaking, good qualities that I've mentioned hmm, were of in great demand by uh, the world. People were attracted to those and wanted his participation in their whatever, in their groups, on, on that basis, that these things held no, no currency, no purchasing power in the world of Gorkishore Das Babaji. They were all counterfeit. And so uh, he could he wasn't, couldn't go there with all his good qualities in Gorgashore, but does find Gorgashore does Babaji saying, "Oh, he's he'll qualified. Uh, let me have him as my disciple." Hmm. No, uh, he rejected him actually, and he hadn't accepted any disciples, as was his uh, more or less commitment. But in time and with repeated effort. Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi was able to sway the heart of Gorkishwardas Babaji and uh, was accepted as his lone uh, disciple. <clears throat> but as I say, he had Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi really kind of an epiphany at the time. It, it seems that what are the what are the material qualities and what is the thing that 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 Bhakti knows telling me to seek after. What is it that Gorka Shordas Babaji Maharaj has? What is that Gora Prem in comparison to the world and so forth? Much, many, many years later, uh, when he sent the first uh, emissary, missionary to the to the West, to Europe, and that uh, devotee, disciple of Bhaktisattva and Sarsi Thakur, so now he returned, and he, uh, he had gone to maybe Germany and England, and apparently... Um, they raised some questions, the educated Europeans, that he didn't feel satisfied with his answers to. And so he was thinking the task of taking this Gore Shiksha, the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and bringing it into the Western world is bigger than we might have thought. Hmm. And um, he came back and he uh, made such statements and admissions of, um, I guess, weakness, if you will, and uh, uh, and uh, this did leak back to Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, who, who replied that with the particle of dust from the lotus feet of Gorakasha's Dardas Babadi, there's enough knowledge to drown the whole world. Hmm. And uh, it was actually Sridhar Maharaj who said, what were those questions? And uh, Prabhupada, our Prabhupada, and Gosami Maharaj and Sridhar Maharaj, the three godbrothers, they were together when that sannyasi came back and he approached them and told them and they took on his questions. Sridhar Maharaj in particular led the group, what are those questions? We have answers. <laughs> Something like that. And of course, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsati Thakur thought that, again, the wealth of Gorkishore, this is the sum and bonum 
of knowledge, the be-all and end-all of knowledge. This is the Rajavidya of the Gita that Krishna talks about, manmanabhava, madbhakto, madhyaji, manmanamaskaro. He has shown what it means to be a devotee and to love is to, is, is, is really to know in a comprehensive sense. To love means, of course, to love God, so that love is is universal and uh, not one side. If I love one, I don't like love another. Hmm. So um, he was very moved by Bhakti by Gorkhishore Das Babaji, but he was also very much moved by Bhakti Vinod Thakur, and they were they were friends and uh, contemporaries. Gorkhishore would regularly attend the Bhagwat discourses of Bhakti Vinod Thakur. Um, but they had a very different approach to their uh, bhakti. Gork Shordas Babaji, Babaji Maharaj was, was a, was a bhajananandi. He kept to himself. He didn't preach. Um, he, he, in fact, he did things to keep people from coming around him. Hmm? Uh, he would, for example, one day put on silken garments and walk through the streets to let people think that he had become a materialist, so they would leave him alone. They wouldn't, they wouldn't come after him for, and bother him with their insincere inquiries about spiritual life. Uh, this is kind of typical of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and at other times he kept himself in such a renounced position that no one could relate to his uh, behavior and so forth. Uh, but of course he had been pointed out by Bhakti Vinod, who who Bhakti Sarasthakur had great faith in that was his father and Bhakti Sarasthakur and Bhakti Vinod was of course a great preacher Bhakti Vinod gave him the Hari Nam and they told him to get Mantra Diksha from Gorkishore Das Babaji Maharaj <clears throat> and so he's influenced by, by both Bhakti Vinod by contrast on the other hand was a very educated person literate person and he was involved in, in the world in the government the British government uh, he fathered uh, at least uh, ten or a dozen children, and um, he was involved in writing books, and he had a vision to send Gaudiya Vaishnavism to the Western world. He sent letters to luminaries in the West, like Emerson and Thoreau at the time. He wrote to them, and so on and so forth. So he had two gurus, really, Bhakti Siddhanta and they had two very different uh, dispositions. When it came to talking to Gorkishore Das Babaji Marsh about preaching, he'd say, "Don't bother with that. Too much trouble. Too many. Too, you have to get associate with so many people unfavorable. Just do bhajan, something like that." So Krishna moved him in that way, and of course Bhakti Thakur was, as I say, quite, quite the opposite. Hmm? But it appears that. Um, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, although he's well known for his outreach and having followed the mood of Bhakti Vinod in that regard, that he had a very strong tendency in the other direction, hmm? the tendency of inward life that was so much um, uh, exemplified in the person of Gorkishore Das Babaji Maharaj. Hmm? And the, the preaching of Gorkishore to Bhakti Siddhanta, not to bother with preaching, <laughs> affected him, and there's quite a bit of sense to that, hmm? quite a bit of good uh, reason to that. You can get, uh, you get involved in argument and, and, uh, and um, mix it up with, uh, you get to get to come into the association of worldly people, you might have to read about worldly things so that you can speak in a contemporary way and so forth. And, is this conducive to inner life? So there, uh, you know, there are different ways to think about that, right? Hmm? And uh, so Bhakti Siddhanta Sosri Thakur was somewhat moved by Gorkhishore Das Babaji Maharaj, and that was more, it appears at the time, the, um, the, the predominant kind of um, thinking amongst the disciples of the followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu who kept themselves in the Holy Dham. Calcutta, for example, was just like the kingdom of Maya. You would never think of going there. Hmm? Stay in Mayapur. You only go to Calcutta if you have to to get to Vrindavan. Hmm? There's a train called the Radharani Express from Calcutta to Vrindavan. Hmm? Um, 
So uh, he was influenced by that, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur was chalking out really kind of a new path for Gaudiya Vaishnavas with his uh, his vision and uh, uh, outreach and so on and so forth. And it took some doing on the part of Bhaktivinoda Thakur to uh, pull Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur away from that direct pursuit of internal life and um, he one of the things he, he, he did was call him an ease lover and then he called him a mayavadi <laughs> uh, it's, it was a stretch of course what is it what was his reasoning for calling him a mayavadi that uh, uh, that my bodies don't want to do any. They, 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 they you know, they, 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 they give up interacting with the world or something like that. So, it, of course, so do so do some Vaishnavas, and there's a place for that and so forth. But anyway, he said, "Ah, you're just a Mayavadi," and he had such a such a disdain for the Mayavad uh, philosophy that uh, that just that didn't settle with him. So he he couldn't in any way think of being thought of. As a Mayavadi, even if it was wrong thinking, you know, and inaccurate, and so forth. So this was said to be one of the things that really irked him. And but of course, he was he was very much inspired by Bhakti Vinod Thakur as well. And the vision of Bhakti Vinod Thakur was extraordinarily powerful. And he wanted to see the, the holy name of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Krishna go to every town and village, and so forth, and so on. So anyway, Bhakti Vinod Thakur was successful in influencing. Bhaktisiddhanta Thakur to become the great preacher that he was. Hmm? And uh, he eventually, under the inspiration of Bhakti Vinod, formed a mission, a famous mission, the Gaudiya Math, Chaitanya Mission, Chaitanya Math, Gaudiya Math, uh, different names. And, um, and he saw the wisdom of engaging so many people in what he called, uh, or kind of saw as an extended idea of kirtan. To um, he engaged in outreach to people and trying to uh, help the common person understand the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and uh, through instruments like the printing press and so forth. So he, you know, he very took up a very novel approach to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. The the the, the, the first uh, step in that direction, uh, coming from Bhakti Vinod, he once he stepped in that direction, he went in a big way there. And made such a splash that uh, people who most of the, those involved in internal life couldn't understand him, and and thought maybe he doesn't have an internal life, so he's doing all these things that uh, keep him busy and uh, interacting with printing presses and auto uh, motor cars, which were you know just the term motor car. Obviously, that was a long time ago, <laughs> and there weren't very many of them, especially in India, you know, riding in a motor car and. Um, he sent his uh, first emissaries to Vrindavan with shaved heads and tilak, dressed like priests, Catholic priests, with a little collar and a suit coat in black. And they came like that. And the, the people in Vrindavan, the Vaishnavas, thought, what is this? What is this? Well, Sanatana Prabhu said, wear white. And, you know, and the Chaitanya Charitamrita, and they have their ideas and so forth uh, uh, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati was, was pushing you know, the whole envelope of the form, if you will of Gaudiya Vaishnavism uh, to shape it around the substance in a way that it would be more accessible to and compelling to um, those who typically weren't born in Vaishnav families, who, who needed a little more um, help in converting, if you will. Um, indeed, you know, he wanted to convert the British, and as I was saying the other day, he was very successful in, in dragging people out of Gandhi's movement. Educated young men, in particular, were, were in India, were in mass, all following Gandhi hmm, and his mission. And to, to, to pull people out of that, in the midst of that, that was like going to Occupy Wall Street, trying to make, you know, turn people into <laughs> devotees. And so, you know, 
you're wasting your time out here, you know. The 99% is up there. <laughs> Go, oh God, you know. Don't stay down here with the 1%. Uh, Go there. Uh, you know, that's a hard sell when they're so much uh, involved in, a, in another type of mission and reform and committed to that and so forth. So just to give you some idea, they were really committed to, to Gandhi. He was very compelling and so forth and was a noble mission. And Bhaktisiddhanta was pulling him out of Gandhi's mission. And they would respect Gandhi then from a distance and critique his philosophy and and uh, and so on and so forth, his understanding of the Gita and so on. So he was very uh, very successful in getting educated people involved in uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Sometimes you see the articles in their numerous numerous publications. They had the Nadia Prakash, which was a daily publication, the Harmonist, which was I think every couple of weeks. And they had, I don't know, I, I can't remember the moment, a number of publications, periodicals, and then there were the books that they were printing of Bhakti Vinod and of Bhakti Siddhanta and others and so forth. Uh, very, very active in the printing press. All of the temples, the moths were like beehives of activity. Hmm? Um, And you can find in some of the articles, for example, in the Harmonist, um, that the devotees would use their lettered secular names, Dr. Uh, Son, Professor Sanyal, B.A., M.A., you know, and so forth. They had initiated names, obviously, but they would use their secular names in the publications and put their letters after them. They were educated men, and that you know, was impressive to people, in other words. You, you don't hear an edu- educated people speaking about Gaudiya Vaishnavism. You found some guy from Bangladesh, you know, or, or, or something like that, or, or you might find even some advanced devotee, but he wasn't speaking in a contemporary way about Gaudiya Vaishnavism to make it accessible. There's a famous letter to illustrate this point further as to what Bhakti Sarasthi Thakur wanted to do and successfully did by an English lady who met him and she was writing back to her constituents in England and I don't know how some Godi people got got a copy of it or something like that. Anyway, in the letter she says and, and he's a different, he's a, I met him, he's a different kind of uh, sadhu and and he, and he uses an English toilet. <laughs> <laughs> And she thought, you know, that was that was saying something. The guy's he's up to date, you know. He you know, this kind of kind of thing. So uh, he was. Uh, this was a, really an in, a sign, indication of the depth of his realization. Hardly was it a sign of his deviation. Hmm? Once the brother of Bhakti Siddhanta, one of the brothers, famous brother Bimal Prashad or uh, Lalit Prashad. Uh, said, oh, he left left the Rog Marg, mm. building all these temples and all this interaction with the world. And so Rog Marg means bhajan and seclusion, smarnam, and so forth. And so it was not well understood, apparently, by him. The depth of Bhaktisiddhanta's immersion in Rog Marg and in evidenced by his ability to interact with the world and give new shape to go to to the substance of Gaudiya Vaishnavism such that it would become more readily, as I say, accessible to others. This, my point is, requires realization. It's not just to get down and figure, let's come up with a, let's have a meeting, everybody, and uh, let's decide, you know, what the preaching strategy will be. And, uh, I mean, there's some place for that, but this really, the ability then to not leave the path in the context of doing that and really carry the substance into a new form, that requires some depth of deep experience and, and, and real, realization. Hmm? It's not just some kind of planning commission or some kind of think tank to get get together and dress ourselves up in a contemporary way and and so forth. So he, he had uh, uh, deep absorption. Indeed, it, it, it is said that he 
he was doing his bhajan, and of course Bhaktivinoda Thakur made his re- re- remarks and so forth that agitated him. But uh, as I mentioned, but also he had taken a vow. What was it to chant one 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 billion names? You know, without stopping, other than to eat once a day or something like that. One billion names. So that's 300,000 names times, times what? Hmm? Anyway, a long time. A billion names? 300,000 times 100 would be what? Million? Okay, I mean, long time. He, and so he was deep, deeply absorbed in that kind of bhajan and said that it, as, at the, what became the end of his, his bhajan, what he got up from and went out to preach uh, from, at that time, a, uh, a, a, he had a vision of the Panchatattva and a note came. What is it? It was a, a piece of paper blew into his hut and on it were the four things that that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had ordered Rupa and Sanatana to do, to, to go and establish Gaudiya Siddhanta, write books, establish temples, excavate the places of Krishna's pastimes in Vrindavan and so forth. So he took it as a as a sign of which what to do. But the point is that, that his outreach really came from deep immersion in in um, in devotional life, and then he fashioned his outreach in such a way that it would help people to go deeply into uh, spiritual life who couldn't otherwise just sit in the jungle and chant, which he showed himself to be able to do. Um, to help them, he fashioned his mission and his extended idea of kirtan that uh, uh, would form a veritable society with all types of activities in it hmm, that human beings normally engage in, but all for the service of and the its dissemination of uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings. So this was quite, uh, quite a novel thing. He may have formed the first formal uh, institution. Gaudi Vaishnavism was institutionalized in a soft way by the writings of the Goswamis, who took the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and, and, and explained it, located it in the sacred texts and so forth. That's a soft form of institutionalization, but he formed a, f- a hard corporate kind of structured uh, you know, mission, training missionaries, sending them out, kind of like the Christians were doing, you know, sending missionaries to India to convert people. And so I thought, well, we'll do this for... Bhagavad Vaishnavism, you know, east goes goes west for conversions, and 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 so on. Um, and then I, I say he was very successful in that in India. He opened sixty-four monasteries, and they were all beehives of activity with uh, educated people, young men. He had ashrams for women. He called them the Vishnu Priya Ashram after the the wife of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. After Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took sannyas, she set a certain standard of devotion, and so he formed missions for the such ladies who uh, didn't have husbands worth following or whatever, uh, and they wanted to follow Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, so he had ashrams for them. Um, and he was very, uh, I want to say, uh, very um, flexible. Hmm? He was very strict. Hmm. but very flexible to work with the world and with what people were like and so forth. He treated the Europeans who joined. There was a couple of Germans, maybe, who joined differently. He said that he told his... his. Uh, I think there was a tank at the Chaitanya Math in Mayapur, a bathing tank, and and one of the German... German disciples was out there bathing naked in the tank, you know, and that they wouldn't do that in India. And all the disciples, were, you know, this European he's bathing na- naked, you know. Bhagavad said they're different, you know. That's all right. They're different. 
They have different cultural habits and styles and so forth. Well, that can be accommodated. You know? Let them understand. If he understands the philosophy, he's practicing otherwise. He was able to separate out the relative from the absolute and and so on and so forth. He was a, now it's, it's it's ironic, of course, that his some of his followers and grand followers and so forth will take the form that did become set in place in his mission hmm, as if it could never be adjusted and, uh, and so forth. It was a form kind of really in progress if you, if you looked at it. Prabhupada also, mission ultimately took a shape and it had procedures that, you know, that works, we're doing that. You know, we're doing that every day. You know, but when it it doesn't work, <laughs> which could be, as it was a possibility in time and in new circumstances, then one has to be able to say we're not doing that because it's not working. It's a detail. It's not working to deliver the principle and so forth. So we have to. We, we should try to embrace the spirit of our lineage coming from Bhakti Vinod and Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. Prabhupada very much exemplified this as well giving a new shape to things such that it couldn't be recognized for what it was by some of his godbrothers. Um, be a little uh, flexible and, of course, stay under good guidance so we won't mistake a principle for a detail and throw the principle out the window in the name of being um, dynamic. Um, but uh, the, at any rate, I want to say that this kind of mission that he had, the nature of his outreach and so forth, is really indicative of the depth of his realization. It's hardly indicative of his leaving the Ragmoth market. In fact, it brings into question um, those who might have thought themselves to be treading uh, uh, the Ragmarg if they could not understand what he was doing. He thought he made a a a a, a like a logo, right, for the Godiamat. And in the logo, there was the printing press and the cartels and the Murdunga. They were on the, it had two sides. One was the Rag Marg, the Bhagwat Marg. One was the Vidhi Marg, Pancharatrika Marg, Archan, deity worship. And we're, we're on the one side and the preaching, and the, the printing press, that, uh, these instruments for outreach were on the Rag Marg side. So he identified preaching and out. He said, those who have life, you know, they can preach, something like that. So inner life, they can they can actually do outreach. This was his idea. And of course, to some extent, as I said earlier, he fashioned his preaching movement such that it would bring inner life to get people to speak about their realizations and so forth. It would foster that. So this is a very novel, really kind of... Um, Approach to Gaudiya Vaishnavism that he did—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's not something that's uncommon with regard to other religious institutions, where we will find reformers and and this kind of principle. But it was kind of a first, really, for for Gaudiya Vaishnavism. First in a sense, but it was nonetheless following in in what the Goswamis themselves did, who formed it, the the Sampradaya and, and, in, in their time. But to, to reform it in new times and to theologize implications of the principles and so forth. Um, this was a great contribution on the part of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. So we are in that lineage coming from him, coming from Bhakti Vinod. Srinamarsh used to say the vision came in Bhakti Vinod and Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur gave some shape to that and Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada took it all over the world. Hmm? And so here we are <laughs> today and we have want to continue in this way to present Gaudiya Vaishnavism in, in a relevant way to think about it, the implications of it and how it may be um, presented in different cultures and, and how it may be practiced by ourselves in such a way that we can get at what it's really um, about and not get lost in the details, not misidentify the details with uh, the principles. So we owe a great contribution the world does to Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. I think you did. You all see the movie about him? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Powerful uh, and uh, compelling. So you know so many of the details. Forgive me if I repeated some. Are there any questions? Um, well, 
Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Prabhupada made a lot of innovations. And he was thinking independently and thinking how to manifest all of these things. Uh, let's see, I'll have to say a lot to formulate the question. Um, so how how does that come about? Where does that come from? How do you know when this is a real, there's a need for an innovation, or it may be just your own idea. How do you balance that out? How did he balance it out? His, Both of his gurus were gone when he really started getting active, and he wasn't going along with, from what I understand, there wasn't anyone that was excited about his innovations in the beginning. And he's pushed through. People saw it was starting to work, and then he attracted attention. People started going along with him. Um, and I'll, I don't understand why would he send people dressed as as um, <laughs> Christian monks to Vrindavan? I don't understand. But what was he trying to do there? Was um, he just trying some random things, and then say, "Okay, well, that's not really working, and let's try something else." And, I think he was trying to rally other Gaudiya people with the idea of of spreading Gaudiya Vaishnavism beyond the borders of India, and he and and he had an idea: if we dress like this, you know, uh, it's kind of a half and half, you know. He's got a tilak and a shaved head, but he's dressed like a priest, you know, rather than a robe, which people don't identify with necessarily. Maybe that will, you know have some effect, and these were his missionaries, and I don't think he, he had, uh, he was kind of fixated on that, that outreach, but he also wanted to take his disciples to Vrindavan and have Parakram and so forth, so I guess these went to, as kind of like, uh, um, what would you say, like scouts, you know, to scout out for the Parakram and let's bring our mission to, to Vrindavan, and, and this happened to be how he had them dressed, and they were stoned. By by people in Vrindavan as as uh, you know misrepresenting Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and so forth. Hmm. Um, the first Parakram party, they threw, they threw stones at them. Hmm. So uh, you know it wasn't so so warmly uh, <laughs> received. But I think his intention was that that let's you know make some innovations and spread Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission and. Good Vaishnavas will appreciate that makes common sense and so forth, but it wasn't always met with um, the uh, kind of reception that he would have hoped for, um, which maybe indicates something about the state of Gaudi Vaishnavism that, that had deteriorated to, which he was uh, concerned about. So, but how do you know that his? How does one know that their innovations are meaningful? I mean, I, I, I suppose that when other people, you know, start thinking they are, you get some <laughs> some confirmation because if if you can act by them, if actual people actually come into Gaudiya Vaishnavism, then then if that's your objective, then you have your your proof from the results. He was obviously convinced about the vision of Bhakti Vinod. He actually. He had thought deeply about what is a principle, what's a detail, and was fully ready to adjust details accordingly. He had that strength of realization, and uh, he could sit, and, as I said, do bhajan for nine years. Um, so um, he was pretty sure about what he, what he was doing, and that he was right is obvious. We're all here today because of that. Um, but it's not the work of just anybody. But on a smaller level, of course, it is, and. You're involved in outreach, so you have different ideas, and 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 uh, so you may be asking from your perspective, how do I know that you know my ideas would for for outreach would be useful, and then it's it's uh, it's it's in pursuit of um, delivering the principle and by adjusting the detail and so forth. I think that you know. We can ask for some advice from senior Vaishnavas, and in that regard, and um, and um, other than that, I mean, there are any number of ways that you could 
adjust your kirtan or your outreach to people without changing the the substance, I think. And it's fairly obvious. I think there's a bit of a backlash against this kind of a thing, unfortunately. I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. After our Prabhupada left, then there were... Uh, some of his disciples took the spiritual helm of, of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. And they didn't do that good of a job of, of, of walking in Prabhupada's shoes. And, and um, devotees started to think that we, they should just follow the way Prabhupada did everything, hmm? just like he did everything. Because if we change things, then see what the problems are. We're not qualified to make changes and adjustments and so forth. But if you look at the history, we don't find that those 11 gurus really made any changes significantly. One of them did many years later in uh, in West Virginia, uh, which I never thought were, were good ideas. The principle was, was fine, but yeah, I didn't think the ideas were particularly insightful that he had. But anyway, my point is that these 11 gurus originally in ISKCON, they, didn't, they weren't coming up with all kind of innovative ways to spread Krishna consciousness necessarily. That's not what they did. Hmm? It's not that they, they did anything of the sort, really. Hmm? Uh, they, they did other things which were problematic. They, they, sometimes their, their lives shifted from, from, from seva to boga, to you know, enjoying the disciples' wealth and that kind of thing, and uh, um, uh, but they didn't. They didn't. They weren't making innovative changes. But this, uh, what I saw was that the, a lot of the devotees were thinking, "We can't make any changes because the original gurus they did that and see what happened." You know, so we just have to do exactly like Prabhupada. But actually, they didn't make any changes. What did they do? Prabhupada drove in a. You know, we picked up Prabhupada. We used to drive him in a Toyota station wagon, but then later on. One year, I remember he, he arrived in Los Angeles, and Karandar, who was the GBC, rented a Lincoln Connell or something like that, or a Rolls or a Mercedes or something to pick Prabhupada up. You know, we thought it was quite cool, uh, but it wasn't customarily that Prabhupada rode in fancy cars and all. But we didn't have anything against that, and of course, he wouldn't have thought much of it. Uh, wouldn't have been intoxicated by it. But the new gurus all got fancy cars and. I remember they were all getting Mercedes, and this one other one guru told me, he said, I'm not getting Mercedes. He says, I want a silver, what was it called? A silver eagle or something, some kind of rolls, and he wanted to be different. Hmm? Silver cloud. Silver cloud or something, you know. <laughs> I mean, these weren't innovations in preaching. <laughs> one guy had a pink Cadillac in Florida, and he was supposed to go to Mexico, and he wouldn't go to Mexico unless they shipped the pink Cadillac over to Mexico that picked him up when he came out, you know, arrived at the airport. I mean, these kind of excesses and leanings in the direction of boga, not even tag, but bog, away from seva, these were the kind of things that were problematic mm-hmm. for the devotees. They, they weren't making innovative changes, but the, but the devotees imbibe this idea that, well, they, they made all kinds of changes, so we used to just do exactly like Prabhupada. But actually, we never lived like that, because if you preach, you realize you have to adjust. You can't tell everybody everything all at once, and you have to be right there. You have to make the call yourself, right there. You're asking me, how can I make the call? You have to make the call. You're there. You're preaching. You have to decide, I can't tell them this. I'm going to tell them that. Hmm? I'm going to tell them, don't worry about that. Think about this, or whatever it is. Or uh, you're going to say, you know, here, just eat this, you know, or whatever. Uh, you know, you have to make that call. That's the preacher's life. And that's why Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur so much identified preaching with living Gaudiya Vaishnavism, because you've got to draw on everything you've heard, everything you've seen, and a new instance. Every moment in life is new. And if you're trying to present Krishna consciousness, you've got to be, you've got to do something new, or say it different, or or something like that. It's very pressing, and your realization is tested and so forth. And it's a very much of an opportunity to can be to grow, 
as well. It's very, it's a very dynamic type of a setting. So, I mean, we were always um, doing that in the way we would speak to people and also um, coming up with, you know, innovative ways to one extent or another to, to spread Krishna consciousness. Um, that's not what caused the gurus, you know, originally to fail. It was other things. If they had done, been doing that, that would have been good. That's very much needed. So that's the call, you know, of the hour, so to speak, by the preacher. One time I was sitting with Prabhupada and, and uh, Gopa Vrindapal heard that I was with Prabhupada and he apparently thought I was talking to Prabhupada about something that I wasn't talking about. But he, he came in and he wanted to talk to Prabhupada about making a, like a, a paper that told devotees what to say when they went out and preached so they wouldn't say the wrong things or something like that. And Prabhupada didn't like the ideas. It's very it's artificial. He said the preachers, you know, they have their own inspiration. It's just like Arthur Parimarsh. You know, he's saying so many things. Krishna in his heart is giving him tesham satata yuktanam bhajitam pritipuvakam dadami buddhiyogam Krishna's giving him so many things to say and... Uh, and that you ha- can't restrict the preacher like that. Hmm? That will be artificial. You have to give the opportunity. He's out there, he's preaching, depending on Krishna. And, you know, see, better, better he says something wrong hmm, sometimes and grows from it, hmm, than you restrict him in such a way that, that, he, that, 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 that even if he gets inspiration from Krishna to say one thing, in the book it says you can't say that. Hmm? You've got to say it like this, you know. So Prabhupada wanted that kind of freedom, and and preaching is very much uh, fosters that. So it's your you know, you have to make the call, hmm. and judge by the result. Be sincere, and go forward. And that's what I'm doing too. Hmm. And there's some good results. <laughs> you sincere, you make. And that's what Prabhupada did. You know, he came to America. He didn't know what, you know whether to turn left or right. He said when he got off the boat hmm. in, in Boston. He said, I gave out the holy name as an experiment to see what would, what would happen to people. They would chant, and then I would see what would happen, and I, I'd get some feedback from them, and I'd think, well, we'll go in this direction, and we'll go, go in that direction. Somebody said, we should have a temple in San Francisco. Prophet said, all right, well, let's go to San Francisco. So I didn't even know where San Francisco was, probably. You know? uh, so um, that's the exciting you know, life of, of being in a, in a mission for, for outreach. Hmm. What else? I guess we've talked for a while, huh? All right, let's stop there. Bhakti Sansarasri Thakur, Rabbi Bhav Muhammad Swatiti Kijai. Gaudi Gopal Kijai. Gaudi Tananda Kijai. Gaudi Bhakti Bhandi.